Well, good morning. Hopefully, y'all are doing well. I was telling the um, first service that I really missed seeing the vast majority of them. I wish I could say the same for y'all. I've seen y'all for the last couple of weeks, and well, I'm just kidding. I do miss seeing y'all, so um, I'm not that mean most of the time. But anyways, we do uh, do have an announcement for everybody, and then we're going to read, and then we'll open up with some prayer. And the announcement is very important, so please listen closely. Um, there are no announcements, okay? So there's the announcement. It's very easy. You don't have to write that one down. Just put it in your head, take it home with you. So um, anyways, this morning we are going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And here you have Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And he starts out verse, I mean, chapter 4 with, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of of the spirit in the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all and i told um first service that you know my heart has been kind of burdened um just with the amount of dissension Um, that's out there right now, just the division that's in our country um, and appears to even be in the church. And so I have been reading through that, kind of praying through that, so it was kind of easy when I was asked to pick something out to read that that would be what it was. So my encouragement to us would be that we would be different than the world. Um, We would be unified, and we would seek peace. We would seek unity with each other. Um, that's going to look extremely different. Though we may not agree with everything that goes on, we can be in unity because of the Lord. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you and I want to say thank you for the first service. Lord, it was really, really good. Um, great reminders in what, was, in what was taught and just some really good worship. I know at least for me. Father, I pray that the same would happen in the second service, Lord, that you would receive honor and glory. Lord, that um, what we do, what we say, what we think would bring you honor and glory. Father, that's what we're supposed to do. That is our calling, to bring you honor and glory. Lord, I love you. I trust you. And I'm thankful for who you are and for who you're not. It's in your perfect and precious name that I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. And uh, we want to ask everybody to stand. And let's just praise the Lord. This song says, let the peoples praise you. And so if you're here or you're listening out in the Internet or whatever, we want you to just to sing out. And let's let may the peoples praise you. Let's sing together, may we?
Praise the Lord on that one. That was the one that kind of moves, and we like that one. Uh, we'd like for you to sing out on this. This is a fairly new one. We've done it about three times already. Man of Saul's. Let's sing this together, maybe. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own.
Father, we just are so thankful that you provided the way of salvation for each of us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Dying on a cross, Lord, that was the victory. It's the fact that our sin was paid for. And then victory over death with your resurrection. And Lord, we know that you are alive today. And God, we just thank you and praise you for that. But Father, as we go through our daily life, as we are distracted by the happenings of this world and the things that are going on, help us just to remember Gethsemane, where you prayed 
for us. Help us to remember Calvary where you died for us. Help us remember the tomb, Lord, as you rose from the dead for us so that we can have eternal life with you. And Lord, we thank you that you're sitting with the Father right now as our advocate, always pleading for us. Oh God, how can we thank you enough for all you've done? Lord, that's why we're here to worship you and praise you this morning. So God, we just, just want to give you all the glory and the honor that's due you. Father, I pray for Bob as he comes and uh, shares with us. Lord, you'd give him a remembrance of the words that, that you want him to say. And Father, just uh, as we leave here, Father, we know that we have been blessed. But Father, we also pray that you have been blessed with our, with our worship. Thank you again for this time. These things we pray in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I didn't have a cup holder in the first service. You might remember that I drink a lot. I should have told George when he came up and, and drank out of my cup that I was tested positive for the coronavirus. <laughs> okay, got my mouse here. Most of you have heard that uh, Judy and I were scheduled to go to the Philippines this past March 14th for the dedication of the celebration of the completed Bible in the Kalanguya language that the uh, tribal group of people that we worked with for, um, well, it's all on, going on to 50 years, more than 50 years, more than 50 years now. Uh, the Bible was supposed to be finished by the end of uh, this past March, but due to the corona uh, virus breakout. Of course, everything changed at that point. The Bible uh, pages were printed before the businesses had to shut down in Manila because of the virus, but the binding of the Bibles had just begun at that time, so that's where it left. We just uh, recently have gotten news that the Philippine Bible Society, where we're having our Bibles printed, has uh, reopened but with only 50% of the workforce to complete the binding of our Bibles. And so they've given us a new target date of the middle of um, August. So we'll see what happens. But at the present time, the Philippine government is not even allowing its own citizens to uh, come to the Philippines from other countries. So uh, consequently, there's... Uh, uh, Nothing that leads us to think that we're going to be able to get back there anytime soon. So we'll just sit tight and wait until the Bibles are, are, have been delivered. And uh, then we'll make plans on returning back to the Philippines for the dedication. In the meantime, we're working on the uh, Kalanguya Songbook with, with some uh, 260 songs for reprinting. Uh, adding some new songs written by some of our Kalanguya believers. 
And now, uh, after that's finished, the next project will be getting all our existing commentaries revised for reprinting. Um, thanks to the uh, communication technology that we have these days, we can continue to be a resource to our, our uh, Kalingui uh, translation team and also the church leaders. Whenever issues come up, there's problems come up um, because we have email, Facebook, uh, messaging, and uh, vid even video conferencing. I can uh, set up a video conference with them and and uh, gives me an opportunity to speak Kalingui occasionally. And I appreciate the, the opportunity to, to uh, speak to you this morning. Uh, gives me the opportunity to practice my English. And uh, George was here in the previous service. It can, it can uh, give him an opportunity to check my theology. <clears throat> the uh, passage I have chosen to speak from this morning, you see it on the screen, um, Behind me is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, and I'll be reading from the NIV. And I decided to put it up on the screen because you may not all have uh, NIV to follow along. The title that uh, the NIV gave to that passage is uh, uh, Made Alive in Christ, which is a, which is a good title, and it's probably uh, the title that, of the message that I'll be bringing this morning. In chapter 1, uh, Paul, to, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he enumerates all the riches and blessings that they have by virtue of their union with Christ. And this seems to be Paul's pattern when he writes uh, epistles to the churches to start out with encouraging words um, and then, as he did in, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, he reminds them of their condition prior to coming to faith in Christ, lest they think, well, be puffed up with all the encouraging words that he gives them and all our position in Christ. And then he reminds them to even amplify that much more the grace of God by, by showing them and reminding them their position before uh, they became believers. I like uh, how Charles Price, uh, Dr. Charles Price, the uh, former pastor of the People's Church in, in Toronto, he refers to this passage as our spiritual biography. And that's a good thing to uh, bear in mind as we go through the first 10 verses here. It's our nature the nature of our lives when we were outside of Christ and the nature of our lives now that we're in Christ, which he uh, refers to as our spiritual biography. There are some, of course, that might be listening to this that are still in the first part of that biography. Um, what we were previously, as it may still be the present tense experience for some who have never moved out of of that into the quality of life that belongs to those who are in union with Christ. So bear that in mind as I read the first 10 verses of Ephesians um, chapter 2 from the NIV. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. And Christ and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, once again, we just thank you. Uh, we've come and uh, thank you for your word and we recognize our dependence upon you to open your word to us and um, as we read the word to uh, speak to our hearts and, and to uh, cause the correction that needs to be done in our lives and, and to teach us in the ways of righteousness. And, and Lord, we thank you for this passage this morning that reminds us where we were prior to our coming to faith in Christ and, and being in, in union with him. We had a very dim previous biography, but now we have a, a glorious biography as a result of your mercy and grace. And Lord, we just thank you for this time we can be together and uh, look into your word. And Lord, we just recognize uh, the, the situation that's going around in the world around us. And it's so nice to come to a place where we can just be at peace and, and reflect on, on your goodness to us and, and uh, just uh, bless as we uh, go through this passage and enlighten us, help us to apply the truths that are coming from this passage and help us to be better witnesses, better testimony for your, of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Addressing the Ephesians, Paul says, as for you, you were dead. This was a real difficult concept to get across to our Kalanguya people in the Philippines, that you can be dead while you live. Here's a group of people who didn't even have a written language when we went there. Uh, they had a, a worldview that was totally contradictory to um, even... Uh, science, uh, any scientific uh, things that, any, any supernatural things that would happen or any, any things in nature that would happen. Um, they used mythology to, to uh, define things. Uh, their cosmology was that the earth was flat, held up by four posts. Um, and when I, uh, you know, tried to teach them that uh, the earth is rotating around the sun, well, they thought that the earth... Uh, rotates around the earth. I mean, the sun rotates around the earth. It comes, comes up, goes down. We say the sun comes up and it goes down. 
But uh, just to understand their worldview, um, understand how they look at even life and and uh, and and the issues that are engaged in in that and how they view themselves as human beings. And so uh, it was a very difficult concept to get across them because it sounds like nonsense when, unless you refer to the fact that there's two different kinds of life and there are two different kinds of death. But just to say you were dead while you live uh, is very difficult for them to understand. And of course, most people are in America would be difficult to understand too. There is something more to life than just physical, the physical part. The New Testament refers to humans as being three parts, body, soul, and spirit. However, according to the Kalanguya worldview, human beings only have two parts. They have a body and a soul spirit, like a composite, which they believe is the same as with regarding animals. So they didn't really see that the, the parts of, of them as humans and the parts of uh, animals were as any different. It was to these people that we had the responsibility to for, inform them that they were dead in their trespasses and sins, in which they were living following the customs that were taught to them by Satan, the enemy of the Creator God. Just as Satan deceived Adam and Eve and the people in Noah's time to disobey God, so they had been they had been deceived by Satan in disobedience to God. This was a very unpopular message, since uh, the the missionary that had come to the Philippines a few years before us had taught the Kalanguya people. They were in one village, and uh, we didn't really know all the things that they taught to the people there. Uh, and we were living in another village, uh, but we knew that uh, one of the reasons that we came to that tribe was to teach them to, uh, the Kalanguya language, uh, to break down the language, reduce it to writing, um, learn its grammatical structure, then create a... Uh, pedagogical grammar to teach the other two missionaries that were in the tribe to speak Kalanguya. And, uh, but until then, they <clears throat> hadn't learned the language. They didn't know the culture of the people. They didn't do uh, uh, worldview research. And so they started teaching uh, the people. Uh, they taught the people stories about Jesus they taught them in English. They found somebody that had gone to high school in the lowlands and had learned some English. And so um, he could speak English, interpret for the teacher or the missionary that was uh, speaking in English. But he's running his understanding of what the missionary is saying through his cultural worldview. And it comes out very skewed, as you will See in a minute. So he was teaching them stories about Jesus in English through an interpreter and told them that they believe, if they believed in Jesus, that they would have eternal life. But since the Kalanguya people only had one meaning to life, which was the force that animates the body, 
The interpreter told the people his understanding of what the missionary was saying, that if they believed the stories the missionary told them about Jesus, that they would have long life. Well, anybody wants to live a long time, so there was a big people movement. Everybody wanted to hear the stories about Jesus and believe in the stories about Jesus, and they would live a long time. In fact, they initially told me when I communicated the fact that they were lost, separated from God, and, and uh, guilty, and deserving nothing but God's wrath and judgment, and, and uh, they, they said, that must be a different religion. And that uh, I was teaching other than the, than the missionary that had been teaching them. And in a sense, it was a different religion. Because unless the gospel of grace is presented in the context of man's separation from God, so guilty, so helpless, so deserving God's wrath and judgment and punishment, that people cannot understand the true significance of the life, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Especially if they have, they do, if they have an unbiblical worldview of what makes human beings different than animals. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 indicates a definite distinction between the soul and the spirit. It says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you may ask, well, how can you translate accurately into Kalanguya if they don't have separate words for soul and spirit? It says, and I have to translate this. Well, the, the trick is to borrow a word from another language that is a little more sophisticated in the Philippines and has two words. Then we use the word to and and make an explanation of how that word is used. So uh, we borrow a word from another language in the Philippines that has sep two separate words for soul and spirit, but without a footnote explaining, uh, with an explanation regarding the difference between humans and animals, the borrowed word would either have a zero meaning for the people or... Uh, it would be the same as the word they already had. And that's just one of the difficulties we have in translation because words have certain limits. They, uh, and you hear a word in, in their language and we find out what that word is, but we try to use it in, in areas that, but the original word, we're trying to use that word that we're learning from their language just like it was the actual word in English where it had certain restrictions. Uh, one of the things that we tried to do was uh, find a way to say um, the study of God's word or the reading of God's word or the hearing of God's word strengthens your faith. Well, our word for um, strong in, in Kalanguya is only physical strength. It only means physical strength. And to them, if I say, use that word, it'll cause your faith to become strong 
it didn't it it was nonsense because it would be physically strong or they would interpret it to be that they would be physically strong so we had to borrow a word for that see when we borrow a word the limits are not set on that word so that we can take that word then and use it in ways that they uh, can understand but uh, because they, people have the ability to conceptualize all over the world just like anybody else, but they just don't. They just don't conceptualize the same way that we do. So one of our jobs is to help them to conceptualize these concepts uh, by introducing uh, words from other languages and then teaching them how they have an extended meaning. We all have physical bodies, and they, of course they come in various size and shapes, and we usually try to take good care of them. Uh, we have a soul, which is the life that inhabits the body. It's our mind, our will, and our emotions. And we generally try not to do anything foolish that would uh, separate the soul from the body, otherwise we would be dead. And that's why we don't cross the street without looking left and right. And we often tell our kids, look, when you cross the street, be sure and look up and down. Well, do we really mean that? My mom used to tell me that. And I said, oh, okay, mom, I'll, I'll be sure and look up and down. And so, well, my mom's German. She said, don't be a vice guy. But see, we, don't, we understand that. You mean look left to right. But as a kid, I had an unusual, annoying ability to get double meaning out of everything that people would say. And I got a lot of trouble in school by doing that to the teachers. I always used to come home with threes on my conduct report. Then my father would say, what's this? And I came home one time with a 98. And my father would say, what happened to the other two points? He's German. We're German. Every, you know, you don't get 98, you get 100%. And then I brought home a, a, a another math quiz, 100%. I never really heard a encouraging word from my father and says, see that? Now do that every time. Now where was I going with that? Well, I found out when I got to the Philippines and got into translation and then became a uh, consultant for other translations that that was a very valuable skill to be able to see double meaning for everything that because some of our translators would uh, translate, uh, they, our translators uh, that were trained while we did the New Testament, they did the whole Old Testament and I was just on a consultant basis with them. And I would say, okay, that could mean this or this. And so I found out that later that that was a, that was a, a skill that was, that had benefit 
Verse, uh, 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 indicates the distinction between the soul and the spirit. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be... Oh, I already read that, didn't I? The spirit, of course, is, is what we know the least about. It was, it's what makes us uniquely human, the part of us that looks outside of ourselves and allows us to do abstract thinking. I can write a word on the blackboard and, and um, you associate that word with certain, that's abstract. You can associate that word, but animals can't do that. Um, and, and then ask questions uh, that anim animals would never think of. Uh, questions like, where did I come from? Where am I going? Uh, why am I here? What is the meaning of life? So we use things like this to illustrate uh, the things that animals could not do and what humans could do. If I, if I write a word on a board and, and they learn that word and they can associate it with something, and of course, uh, dogs can uh, associate words that you give as a command with a certain object. Um, my border collie, he knew the difference between, uh, she knew the difference between a frisbee and a ball. And I'd throw the frisbee a few times and uh, actually she liked playing ball a whole lot better than playing frisbee. So uh, she would... Uh, run in a garage and go get a ball and bring the ball back. And I would say, no, go get the Frisbee. Well, she'd go get the Frisbee. She knew the difference between them. If I say, go get the ball, she if a ball and a Frisbee. So they can do that, but they can't do abstract thinking. It is the part of us, that spirit is the part of us by which we can know and experience God. Plants are alive, but they only have physical life. Well, here's another problem. The Kalanglia don't believe plants have life. So if I say, uh, that tree's dead, no, it's not. And it was never alive. See, their word for life means that which animates the body. Animals not only have physical life and an animated body, but they have a soul. The components of personality, mind, will, and emotions. Animals can learn um, a lot of stuff. Humans, however, are unique in that we have a soul, a spirit, and, and a body. We alone have the capacity to know and experience God. When God created man and woman, he placed them in the Garden of Eden. He told them they could eat of every tree except one. Uh, they were not to eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, the day that you eat of it, you'll die. But they did eat of the tree, and when they did eat, they died. But... How did they die? They didn't 
You didn't, uh, they, there weren't two corpses at the base of the tree. Uh, they didn't fall down dead physically. They died spiritually. Ephesians 4.18, Paul describes this, this condition as being separated from the life of God. The day that Adam and Eve acted independently of God, God's spirit was withdrawn from them. They were physically alive, but spiritually dead, a hereditary condition into which you and I were born. In Adam, all die, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Present tense, an existing condition, already separated from God. Ephesians 2 clarifies the seriousness of the condition of being dead in that we are disobedient, separated from the life of God, attached to the ways of the world, following in the footsteps of Satan, the spirit that now works in, in those that are disobedient and striving to satisfy the cravings of the sinful nature by following its desires and thoughts. This is to be expected. We shouldn't expect anything different than that. Because when we were separated from God, being designed to be in union with God and in a relationship with him, there is a God-shaped void that exists in us. And it will be inevitably filled by things that are satanic in origin. For the Kalanguya, it was the Kanyao, the sacrificial system that was designed to placate the spirit world that they believed had power over life and nature. When God created all forms of life, animal, vegetable, and human, he placed in them a governing force that would enable them to function in accordance to the purpose for which God had created them. God created vegetable life, and he also created seasons, which he told to Noah after the flood, saying, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease, Genesis 8.22. When God created animals, he gave them something we call instinct. So the, he created the vegetable life, and there were seasons. Because if there was no rain, they would dry up and die. But in Kalaguya, they don't die, they just dry up. And birds know when to migrate and when to return, sometimes even to the same place they left. Every animal is programmed to behave in a certain way. And that we're told that in Jeremiah 8, 7. When the stork of the sky knows the appointed, even the stork of the sky knows the appointed seasons, and the dove, the swift, the thrush, observe the time of their migration. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. 
So when God created the animal kingdom, he gave them instincts intended to govern their behavior. We also have instincts, but those instincts were not what God intended to, to govern us. If we only go by our instincts, we'll end up with anarchy and exactly what we are experiencing in our society today and compounded by the fact that the law of the land is no longer being fully employed to thwart those instincts. When God created human beings, he placed his own spirit in them and by to be the means of governing them how they should live and think. His presence in us produces in us what we read in Genesis as the image of God, the moral image of God, in the way we behave to portray his moral character, his love, his patience, his kindness, his peace, and goodness. Well, what would happen if the plants lost their seasons and, were, and there was no rain? Of course, they would wither and die. What would happen if birds lost their instincts? If they were stuck in New Jersey, where I grew up, they would freeze to death in the wintertime. What happens if a human being loses the spirit of God? See, there are consequences when, if the animal, the, the Plants lost the seasons, their consequences, if birds lost their uh, instincts. But what happened if, when man lost the Spirit of God? The answer is he doesn't know how to behave. Paul's reasoning is that the consequences of being dead spiritually, like plants losing seasons and animals losing instincts, we don't know how to live as we were intended to live. And so we follow the ways of the world, live according to the rulers of the world. The spirit that is now working in those who are disobedient, gratifying the uh, cravings of our sinful nature and following desires and thoughts, we are disobedient. It is not what we do that is the real problem. It is what we are in our condition of separation that is the cause of what we do. If, if we only engage in some sort of behavioral modification that makes us a better person, it has got to be understood that we are still spiritually dead. And a lot of people want to think that somehow God's merciful and he's going to overlook some things if they try their best. We're separated from the life of God. We don't have the capacity to live the way God intended us to live. Unfortunately, even as believers spiritually alive, we often don't demonstrate the spiritual life that we have. And here, 
in that first verse of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, we were dead. As believers, we were, is what we are, what we were. For some, that is still the way you are. Living according to your own natural desires and disobedient, still in rebellion against the purpose for which God created us. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following desires and thoughts, its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. By nature, we were objects of God's wrath. We don't often like to talk about God being angry or the wrath of God. But his attributes of love, holiness, and righteousness are the reason that he is angry at sin, which violates, distorts, and destroys his purpose. In our natural state, says Paul, we are objects of God's wrath. And there's only one place where we can be sheltered from the wrath of God, and that is when we are in Christ. Outside of Christ, we are separated from the life of God, deserving nothing but God's wrath and punishment. Here in, in chapter 2, this is Paul's diagnosis of what we were by nature, that we were dead, we were disobedient, and we were doomed. That's what we were, past tense regarding the our, regarding their condition now he tells them that they are in Christ and he starts verse 4 with a word that inspires hope he says but previously objects of wrath but because of his great love for us who is rich in mercy in verse 5 he he made us alive. He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. What do dead people need? They need life. Although you were dead, the remedy was that you were made alive. In verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Not only are we, were we guilty and needed forgiven, forgiving, but we were dead and needed raising. Not only did he raise us by means of Christ, but he raised us up with Christ. And what that means in other words, that the means of imparting eternal life to the believer is imparting to us Christ. When God puts Christ into the human being, the person becomes alive. This is what the gospel accomplishes in the person who puts his faith and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. 
The life lost in the garden was the life of God. But now it is his presence in us. It is the life of Christ. It is not that we came alive because we tried our best to follow Jesus' teaching and, and we did such a good job that he decided to give us some life. He makes us alive in our condition of death by giving us Christ. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So, if we were disobedient because we were dead, then the remedy is that we are raised to life to engage in good works which God prepared for us to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For... We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Because of seasons, plants function the way God intended. Because of instincts, animals function the way God intended. Because believers have been born, have been raised to life spiritual life, human beings can now fulfill the purpose for which God created them. In verse 10, it's good works which God prepared for us to do in advance. The spirit that now lives in us also motivates us to good works and redirects our thinking with an attitude to live in it with an attitude of dependence on him. We don't do good works in order to gain right standing with God, but, <clears throat> but because Christ achieved that for us on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made him to be sin for us, that we, need, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And uh, Colossians gives us a, a graphic picture of what Christ accomplished for us. And Colossians says all the, all the ordinances, decrees that were hostile to us, he took it out of the way and having nailed it to the cross. And what the people that saw the crucifixion saw written on the, on the uh, over the head of Jesus on, nailed to the cross was Jesus, King of the Jews. But what God saw written there was your sin and my sin that Christ was paying for, paying the debt of our, um, our guilt. And so we are, have right standing now with God because Christ achieved that for us by taking sin and giving, taking our sin and giving us his righteousness. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Okay? 
if it's God that works in us to will and to act according to his good purpose, if that's true, why is it that we still mess up and act contrary to his purpose? Paul anticipated that question and gives us the answer in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 to 32. And do not grieve the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Well, see, these are believers that he's referring to here. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit and get rid of all bitterness, rage, and, and all those other things. This verse, along with the other verse, indicates our responsibility to do what the Spirit prompts. Our spiritual biography has been well portrayed in this passage, that we were dead, disobedient, and doomed as objects of God's wrath. We are now raised, redirected, and rescued because God's wrath was turned away and his justice was satisfied by Christ's death on the cross to pay the penalty of our debt of guilt as our substitute. For by grace we were saved. And we as believers, when, when we don't act as we're supposed to act, God's made a provision. He said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And if we really understand what Christ has done for us in paying the penalty for sin and satisfying the wrath of God, and when we confess our sins, are we... Um, Appealing to God's mercy or his justice? Are we appealing to God's mercy or his justice? I had the opportunity to talk to an elderly uh, gentleman at at a restaurant. He was sitting all by himself. And uh, he seemed to be really friendly. Everybody seemed to know him in the restaurant. And I went over there and sat next to him and I I talked to him a little bit. I was wondering if he was a veteran. And, uh, and uh, he said, uh, yeah, but uh, um, it's been a long time ago. <laughs> he, I say he's an old man. I found out he was younger than me. And I, I said, uh, after we were talking in the conversation, I said to him, uh, let me ask you a question. If you had to stand before God in, in, in judgment, in judgment before God, would you want his mercy or his justice? Of course he said mercy. And I said, I have bad news for you. It'd be too late for that. Because God's already been merciful to us by sending his son to pay the penalty for sin. And and when he did that, he satisfied God's justice so that what I want is God's justice because I can appeal to God's justice that was already satisfied by what Christ did. 
And he said, yeah, that's true. You know, that's a, I just want to encourage you that that's a good way to start a conversation with someone. Just say, you know, if you were, had to stand before God and to witness to someone, and I found that to be very effective, just ask the question, would you want God's justice or God's mercy? And then I say, I want God's justice. And then they're really interested. And then you have the opportunity to tell them why you would want God's justice. Because by grace, we're saved. We're saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your grace that's been demonstrated to us so graphically in the death of your son. And that has been so well documented by the writers of the uh, New Testament, especially Paul in, in Romans and, and in Ephesians and in letters to the epistles. And Father, we have no excuse for not understanding your grace that took and sending your son to take our place to pay the penalty for our sin that we can now claim your justice as the that been satisfied and that we are now seen righteous in your sight and father we just thank you for the truth of that and and the reminder of it uh in our lives and Lord, that uh, we understand that uh, as a result of uh, our sinful nature, we don't always do what we want to do. And we're in a situation right now in our society where uh, people are just following their own instincts. They're following their own um, cravings and evil desires. There's such a vivid picture in this passage of what we are seeing in our world today. And Father, we want to pray for our leaders, our president, our vice president, um, that you would strengthen them, that they are, are targets towards uh, of destroying them and God we just pray that you would sustain them and and uh, especially the vice president as he has opportunity to um, minister to the president and and uh, see that he is a uh, is also a believer and we are encouraged by some of the things that he says but uh, there's other times when he says other things that are are a little bit discouraging but father we pray that you would strengthen him in, in these times and strengthen our leaders and help them to make good decisions that benefit the country so that the gospel can continue to go forth in this land that needs it so badly. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And nobody else is going to be here, so you folks are dismissed. And remember the...